This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. What is going on with the United Way? Well, many Hamilton politicians and frankly, many agencies here in this area are asking that very same question when they saw drastic reductions and in some case, no money uh, where they had counted on money and had received money in the past from the United Way. Hamilton politicians have reacted. They want answers after it was revealed that the United Way of Halton and Hamilton slashed almost $170,000 in funding for up to 24 community groups this year. Uh, one of those who uh, was very pointed in her uh, concern about this and her uh, feelings about the impact it's going to have is uh, Brent Johnson, Brenda Johnson, who was the counselor for Ward 11. And she joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Hi, Brenda. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Great. Let's talk a little bit about this and how you found out about this and the kind of feedback you're getting from some of the local agencies. Well, I got a frantic phone call from the Glenbrook Community Services um, telling us that they got uh, no warning know nothing, uh, that their funding was cut in their, in their program. Now, it was, only, it was about $12,000. So being the chair of the grants committee, I went to the grants committee and found out that there were a lot more programs in Hamilton. Oh, so, so other, other people have heard about this too. It's just, this, so this, well, is, not this, this is not local. It, but they got affected by it, right? Yeah. So, um, I went to the, when we were in the grants committee, several other counselors were coming in with some motions, as well as mine, to top up this, this shortfall right now in the interim until we have United Way come and explain. So my understanding was there was over 20 organizations. Now I understand that the president of the United Way said that it was only 14, but we'll leave that there. Um, but it turns out that uh, we ended up having to top up all these organizations by $175,000. And this is, these are programs, believe it or not, they're hitting the most vulnerable people in our city. So I did a little bit of research, and I found out that the worldwide United Way president makes $1.2 million plus, and he gets a $175,000 compensation check. And I went, wait a minute, something's wrong here. So if we got cut all this amount of money, did any of the salaries get cut because they're claiming there was a shortfall in funding? Well, I understand that, but you're hitting the most vulnerable people of our city. So I, City of Hamilton has an official charity, and that is United Way. And I asked Chris Murray last night, how much do we raise in the City of Hamilton? And he said about $140,000 within the corporation of the City of Hamilton. And I said, how much staff time is used up for this? And he said, well, you know, they, they do it on their, their spare time and in their lunch hours. He said it probably is equivalent to one full-time staff person organizing all the uh, activities that the that city of Hamilton employees put on and, and all the finance staff that arranges for all the donations to be taken off everyone's paychecks who sign up. And I thought, all right, so let's put this all together. City of Hamilton Corporation donates probably about $200,000 in staff in kind and with our donations, and yet we got cut $175,000. So there's just the math just does not add up, and we've got, um, I've talked to several uh, of these organizations because I didn't want to take just one person's um, input on this, and each one of them said the same thing. They got cut off with no warning. And if you've ever had to sit down and write a grant, which unfortunately I've had to do in the past, you're putting packages together that could be about six inches thick. You send them all in, 
and then find out three weeks after the deadline of them telling you, sorry, thank you for all your work, but we're, we're not going to fund you now, with no warning. Well, here's the reality. For, for people who don't understand the math on this, and I think a lot of us probably are much more aware of this than we used to be, and as chair of the Grants Committee, Bernie, you certainly are, uh, first of all, money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, right. Second, these agencies count on this funding to basically service right. their clientele. Uh, those that are are in need of help in this community, and 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 that's why the United Way has had this great partnership, and we've been very pleased with what they've happened in the past. But when the money gets cut, that means that those agencies have to go back to their clients and said, "Sorry, we can't do anything for you this year." Right, and and when you think about it, we've had all these agencies now come forward to the the Community Enrichment Fund. This is the Grants Committee. We've now topped them up $175,000. So theoretically, the city of employee, the city employees are, are being double-dipped. You're getting all your donations taken off your paycheck, and then turn around, your tax dollars now are topping up what your donations should have been doing. So that's where the it's oxymoron to me. It's just why, until they reinvest back into Hamilton, I'm suggesting that the city of uh, Hamilton employees cut the donations and go right into those organizations' doors and hand it to them directly and cut out the middleman altogether. You've looked into this. Have you had any feedback at all from the United Way about this? Yes. um, Our staff actually met with the United Way, and and they came up with some very sound reasons, uh, according to the staff, that, you know, funding was a little bit shortfall. They they did a different criteria this year, and they, they said to the staff that they actually warned these organizations that they would be phased out. I'm hearing a totally different story that they got no warning whatsoever. They got no support to say, okay, you know, we're going to cut you off, so let's help you find another funding source. So, like I said, uh, Glenbrook's uh, community services, I believe they were cut about $12,000. That's for their frozen meal program. And this is volunteers who drive these meals right to your home. You have a week's worth of, of food. And all you really need to do is eat one of these meals, have a peanut butter and jam sandwich during the day, and your, your nutritional value is met. So, and this is for people who are shut in. And when I say the Glenbrook's community services, these guys service all of the Hamilton Mountain, so it's not just, it's because the name, don't be fooled, they they go beyond boundaries. I, I'm a little puzzled by, by, by some of the details that we're getting on this, uh, and, and one of the things that, that bother me, and I'm going to lay this right out here, and I, I, I'd like to get your comment on this, uh, the United Way has gone through an awful lot of changes over the last couple of years, it was the Hamilton United Way, then it became Hamilton Burlington, and, and that model seemed to work pretty well. Uh, because their their credo always was the money that's raised in Hamilton stays in Hamilton. The money that's raised in Burlington stays in Burlington. And, and I think every community was happy with that. But you and I both know, Brenda, that they went through what they called a massive amalgamation of five different United Ways, Hamilton, Burlington, Halton Hills, Oakville, and Milton. And there was some concern then that, that maybe some communities are going to get lost, that they're, they're going to look at the whole and not at the individual communities. Is, are you hearing that from any of these agencies? Well, as Councillor Partridge said last night, that they have several organizations in Flamborough. They do heavy, heavy United Way fundraising. And she found out last week, after these cuts are finished, there is no money. There are no monies now going into Flamborough or Glenbrook. 
So my question is, if it stays into the community in which it's being fundraised, then who's paying the president of the Worldwide United Way? Where does he live? Does his community just pay for his? So it's got to come up the pipe somewhere, and it's got to be leaving the community and going somewhere to pay all these salaries. Well, we're told that uh, that in their, their most recent campaign, they raised about $10 million, and that had to be spread over five communities. Uh, and, and the question I would have, I guess, for the, the, this amalgamated United Way is how do they mean? I, I'd like to get a, an explanation or a definition of what they mean by spread out. Are they saying that they divvied it up among the five, or was the money that was raised in Hamilton stay in Hamilton? I don't know. I think those, those are the questions that we're going to be asking when they present themselves on June the 12th at the Grants Committee. Um, my question would be, we, we go through an adjudication system with our, all our programs, and they get rated out of 100. So all the programs that I've just discussed earlier, they all ranked 80%, which is a really high score, which means that these programs are beneficial to those communities. So if they're ranking so high with the City of Hamilton, what is the, what is the United Way's rankings, and, and where does that money go? Well, they yeah, but the, again, there's one of these other phrases that they're using, Brenda. That I'm, I've got some questions about. They say they've they've done a, a different funding model. Well, what's that mean? I honestly don't know. I I was told by staff the other day that they were using the same model that the city of Hamilton was using, where we were trying to get everybody streamlined and get everybody playing on the same page. Um, but if that was the case, then these these programs should not have been left off the the docket. Um, so that's that's where my question comes from: is well, then how come we're now topping them up when we're using the same model that they're using? Well, the other. And you have to remember, right? The social services um, community is very tight knit. They talk to one another, but the, but it's also cutthroat because there's so much limited funding for everybody that everybody has to go in and just fight for that last dollar. And every one of these programs can take one dollar and turn it into ten because they have the volunteer base to help them. Uh, they have in kind benefits that come in from people who say, "Here, use this." So they they can make the most out of your dollars donations. So this is where my question to them is, if they rank so high with the city of Hamilton's adjudication, then why why did they miss the boat on these on this one? It, was it because they were not I don't know, uh, the terms that they're using or the, the programs that they're doing, are they not sexy enough for on, on paper? I don't know. All I know is that we have the most vulnerable people in Hamilton who now are going to suffer if we don't figure out what's happening and get it resolved. Well, there's, there's got to be some accountability here. I, I mean, that's, I think, what you're looking for, isn't it? Absolutely. And some explanations. You know, there's a new funding model. Well, what's the funding model? Does that mean that, that they get to pre-rank this and decide that such and such an agency or such and such a program uh, scores higher than, for instance, some of the ones that you see that have been affected by this? I mean, we need to know that sort of information. Absolutely. And, and you know, even if we do understand the programming and the whole bit, it still leaves a shortfall for these, these programs that are providing amazing programs for the people that need it the most. And you, as as the chairman of the, of the Grants Committee, and I sat on the Grants Committee many, many years ago when I was serving wow. on council, uh, there are not infinite uh, amounts of money there. I mean, you know, you've got commitments oh. there already. And, and it's good It's good that there's a contingency fund and that you can draw from that. But, uh, but right. that well's going to go dry pretty quickly if you have to do this annually. Well, and speaking of that well, that well now is cut in half because we just turned around and gave $175,000 for the short term for, the, for these programs to continue for the rest of the year. 
So, yeah, you're right. Next year, if we draw again, then the, then the reserve fund is gone. There's a dirty word that I'm going to throw at you here, but it's a political term, but it's downloading. And, and that's what bothers me here. <laughs> Uh, we saw this happen when provincial governments would do this and simply say, we're not going to pay for this anymore, or you're not going right. to get as much. And the, the onus was on the local government to say, well, you guys have to pull up the slack. Well, where are we supposed to get the money at the local level? And it, so- it, sounds, use- no, it sounds very much like that's what's going on here. I thought you were going to use the word amalgamation, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. So if it is going to get downloaded with us, then, then that's where my call out to all the city employees are. Cut your donations and, and directly put it into this, to the community enrichment fund so you know that the money is going to go straight to that, that organization. Well, because, because what you've talking. described here is going to make people pause before they make their donation. And, and I, that's unfortunate because we, we've counted yeah. on the United Way and the mayor's comments were bang on that they've got a great legacy here in this community uh, for doing such great work over the years. But if I've only got X number of dollars to make a contribution, I, as, as a citizen and many other citizens that have contributed to the United Way, figured, you know what, it's a good bet to go to the United Way because I know so many different agencies are going to benefit. But if we find out now that our local agencies are not going to benefit from that, or not to the extent we can, then many of us may be inclined to simply say, forget about the United Way, I'm just going to contribute directly to those agencies. And that was the, and that was my reasoning as well, because I, I like I said, you you want to know where your do- donations are going, and as you said, money doesn't grow on trees. Everybody is trying to watch every dollar. Um, so if you're very passionate about a different uh, or a, about an organization, then you know what, folks, take the money right there because you know it's going right to the heart and soul of that organization. But. And I'm not, and I'm not here to to say that United Way has not done good work in the past. They have, but there's been a real, um, I don't know, influx this year that is just sending some of our organizations to the point where they may have to fire uh, their part-time workers because a lot of these these folks don't even have employees. They rely solely on on volunteers. So if the volunteers cannot be reimbursed for some of the expenses that they're putting in, like their mileage or their, uh, you know, long-distance phone calls, it's just minor when you think about it for day-to-day life, but it adds up. And if these organizations cannot, you know, pat them on the back and say, here, thank you so much for your time, and the only thing you should spend here is your time. So if they can't even accommodate their, their volunteers, then there's something wrong. Well, uh, they've got some explaining to do, and uh, hopefully they can come before <laughs> council and do that. Brenda, thanks as always. Appreciate the time today. No worries. Thank you, and have a great day. You too. Brenda Johnson, Council for Ward 11. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Progressive Conservative leader Doug Ford uh, made some uh, campaign announcements. They're all doing that now. We're going to get lots of that stuff until uh, June 7th, of course. But anyway, uh, he announced his transit plan earlier this week, uh, which uh, called, among other things, for $5 billion for subways in Toronto, uh, outside of Toronto in the GTA. He's also said he's going to support two-way GO transit service uh, all the way down to Niagara. Not the first time we've heard that. Uh, Phase 2 of Ottawa's LRT, yeah, he'll pay for that, he says, as well as, here's the quote, regional transit projects in Hamilton, London, and KW, among some others that he mentioned. Uh, strangely absent from the uh, even the phrase of, around Hamilton was LRT, uh, which is really fueling the argument. I've looked at some of the comments on social media since uh, Mr. Ford made the announcement, and uh, some are suggesting that, uh, well, Hamilton's already decided they want LRT. Why doesn't he talk about funding LRT? Uh, that's the city council position right now. Or is he just pandering to 
uh, the feelings of some of his candidates in this area who seem to be opposed to the project. Well, uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger uh, obviously is going to get drawn into this one way or another simply because he's the mayor for the city and uh, has to look after the best interest. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for the time today. Always a pleasure, Bill. Uh, how, how, how difficult is it for Doug Ford to say LRT Hamilton in the same sentence? Well, he has uh, in the past. So his first iteration uh, when he uh, confronted the issue was that uh, he would fully support uh, LRT in Hamilton, as you recall. Then, yeah. you know, three days later, uh, you know, he modified that somewhat to say, well, if, if council supports it, uh, uh, we'll continue on. If they don't, then we'll leave you the billion dollars anyway. Uh, it's a little confusing to, to have them do a transit announcement that uh, suggests that in Kitchener-Waterloo, they're prepared to fund the first phase of the uh, Kitchener-Waterloo transit LRT, uh, which is already built. Very confusing. Uh, and that's, the, uh, that's a commitment they made in their transit plan, which uh, obviously speaks to the issue of them not knowing what's going on in Kitchener and clearly uh, not understanding the, uh, what's going on in Hamilton. We're, we're not in the, in the let's, let's decide whether we do or we don't. We have decided uh, in numerous times uh, over the last, in fact, 15 years, uh, Council uh, collectively, unanimously asked the province of Ontario for an LRT system. Uh, the province ultimately said, yes, uh, it's a go. <clears throat> and uh, ever since then, we've been moving forward on, uh, not without some consternation, but moving forward in sub- subsequent votes have indicated that, uh, that this council is supportive of moving forward on LRT. We are in the procurement phase right now. We've uh, literally been expropriating property along the route. Uh, we have uh, you know, the design work uh, going on that's been going on for the better part of uh, four years, quite frankly, because the design, some of the preliminary design was done even before the, uh, the, the announcement was made by the province of Ontario. And so, uh, you know, roughly $100 million will have been uh, either committed or expended by now and, uh, and more on the way on a project that's moving forward. So it's not an if. It's, uh, we are in the RFP process now, and that is to, uh, to, to get three qualified bids from uh, three proponents that have been identified and pre-qualified, and uh, we expect those bids to come back, uh, you know, early in the, uh, in the new year. So we're well into this thing. This is not an if project, and uh, I don't understand why Mr. Ford doesn't understand that. And we uh, have, I've reached out to uh, his, his staff and to himself to uh, offer a sit-down to explain to him uh, exactly what's going on here in Hamilton, and uh, to date we've not had uh, anyone respond to that opportunity. Is it because uh, some of the people that are running under his PC banner may not have the same views about LRT that you do? Well, it's, uh, that's certainly possible. I mean, I don't know what, uh, what Mr. Ford's being told. Uh, you know, I, I've said uh, on, a, on a number of occasions, I suspect that some of the local, local uh, supporters and conservatives uh, have been, uh, you know, putting things in his ear that uh, aren't quite accurate. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I don't know if you heard the interview. I had Donna Skelly on the show last week, Mr. Mayor, and, and, and she, yeah. she told us at that time that she didn't talk to Mr. Ford directly, but did talk to his people uh, and suggested that uh, that a lot of people here were opposed to LRT and we'd rather just have the money, uh, which may have been a factor. Let's face it, probably was a factor in Mr. Ford making that kind of announcement when he was in Hamilton briefly a, a few days ago. Yeah, and I, I've made that accusation as well. And, <clears throat> you know, whether you talk to him directly or put a bug in the in the ear of the staff to say, uh, you know, just have Mr. Ford say this and that uh, that will garner some support, uh, it's the same thing. There's no difference. So it is really serving to undermine <clears throat> the direction of this council 
uh, the the 10-5 vote that was made to actually move to the next steps to go to the procurement process. And, uh, you know, to continue to undermine this thing on a council basis is very, very frustrating. You know, normally we like to operate on a team approach. Uh, you know, what, we have the great debate, and we've had debate on this LRT now for, for the, the, the entirety of this term and, and beyond and before. Uh, decisions have been made to move forward. <clears throat> well, you know, as, as Councillor Doug Connolly said, you know, team players are ones that have the great debate, uh, argue it out, come to a conclusion, and then when, they, when the decision is made, you get behind it and, uh, and, and get it done in the best interest of our city. Uh, that's certainly not what's happening for some of the candidates that are currently running that uh, have been on council that are now currently running as candidates for the uh, Progressive Conservative Party. And I, you know what? I'm not picking sides on, the, on the, uh, the, the electoral vote in the province of Ontario. I just want to be sure that accurate information gets shared with uh, all of the candidates. We're having one of the uh, pr- progressive conservative candidates come in this morning to talk about uh, LRT and give her, uh, you know, as much information as we have to have them understand and appreciate uh, what that means and how that's important. And I think that's that's important for uh, all candidates to do. And we're going to be reaching out to everyone to have them understand and appreciate uh, Hamilton's needs. And, and I understand your position on this. I mean, both yourself and, and I know Mayor Tory in Toronto and most mayors, for that matter. Uh, we'll try to, to stake middle ground in when it comes to provincial elections for a variety of reasons. It's it's rare that, that a mayor will actually take a stand. It's happened, and oftentimes it, it can backfire on them. I understand that totally. Uh, but you get sucked into it sometimes when stuff like this comes along because uh, your job, one of your jobs, of course, as mayor, is to defend the city's position. Yeah, and I think it's also the city councilor's job to uh, to defend the city's position. You know, we uh, we are we are working in the interest of Hamilton taxpayers, not Toronto taxpayers, not the, not the province at large. Although it's an issue, and we're not you know, not mindful of that, but uh, we're here to advance Hamilton. And you know, and, and fortuitously, Hamilton was given a billion dollar uh, zero cost, zero capital cost uh, opportunity for us to build a transit system of the future. Um, no other community in the province of Ontario has, has received that benefit. Uh, the argument for many people in the broader community is why do we not get more from our provincial and federal partners? And now that we are, then we're, uh, you know, in, in some respects, biting the hand that feeds us. And so, uh, yeah, it's my job to advocate for Hamil- Hamilton. Uh, I want to make sure that we get our fair share of the resources that are out there. Uh, you know, some $5 billion now being offered by this candidate, and uh, certainly many billions of dollars have already been spent in Toronto and in Kitchener-Waterloo and Ottawa. Ottawa's, uh, you, know, you know, finalizing its third phase of its LRT uh, project. Uh, you know, surely Hamilton can get its fair share as well, and we have it. Uh, we'd be absolutely, um, you know, nuts to lose it as, uh, as uh, you know, the... Uh, Ward, the candidate in Ward 7 said, once upon a time, uh, you know, only a fool would uh, turn down a billion-dollar transit system. Well, and we understand, and, and you and I have talked about this many times when you've been in here for your town hall meetings. Uh, there are people in this community that are just dead set opposed to this, and we understand that too. But at yeah. some point, the council has to make a decision to move on. Uh, and, and it can be a dangerous road when, when other levels of government start playing politics within municipal politics. Uh, and we've seen right. that happen with some of the things in Toronto. And I mean, I, here's what bothers me: is is rightly or wrongly, whether you agree or disagree, City Council has a position on this. And yes, mm-hmm. it's possible that a new council can overturn that. But a new council in any city can overturn anything else too. I mean, in in, sure. a, in a bizarre situation, the new Toronto City Council could turn around after they get elected in October and say, "We don't want any more subways." Well, what's that do to this announcement? I mean, of course it can happen, but it's not likely to happen. 
Well, I, mean, I, I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't expect a uh, a provincial candidate to be advocating some you know turmoil in local communities. I mean, uh, why why would they you know try to position themselves to uh, to, to actually engender that kind of uh, you know undermining debate? I think that's very uh, very counterproductive and divisive, and uh, and there's really no need for that. And so, yeah, I mean, if the, if the next council that gets elected uh, in, in the city of Hamilton decides that we're going to stop this and put the brakes on it, uh, that's happened before. It happened in Ottawa, you know, where before yep. they actually moved on to the next uh, phase and, and all of the work. The, <clears throat> the former mayor of, uh, of Ottawa was not supportive. They, get, they killed the project, cost them, you know, better part of 40 or $50 million to get out of it. They had contracts signed already. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the next mayor came in with the new council and they went right back to, uh, you know, developing their LRT. They're now, you know, almost finished their third phase and it's, uh, and it's ready to go. I, I, as I understand at the, uh, by the end of the year, they're going to have the trains uh, fully operational. Kitchener Waterloo is waiting for its uh, tracks or not tracks, waiting for its trains, all the track and the infrastructure is built. So that's why it's a little confusing when I read, uh, you know, a similar story in the, uh, the Waterloo uh, record that uh, that uh, Mr. Mr. Ford has said I'll I'll support a $325 million investment in uh, the first phase of LRT when when the whole project's been built already. So obviously someone is sharing uh, you know inaccurate information with uh, this particular candidate for premier. But what does this do to to the plan and what does this do to the relationship that that any city, including Hamilton, has to has to try to create and maintain with Queens Park? Well, look. I mean, I, you know, we're going to work with whoever whoever the the citizens of the province decide to uh, to uh, put in place. Uh, but we we also are are, are obligated to share information with uh, all of those folks that uh, that is accurate and clear and 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 reflects the the decisions that have been made in in our city in our community. And uh, currently, that is not reflected in the in the announcements that we've seen from the. Uh, from the conservative leader to date, and uh, we uh, want to reach out to him and uh, sit down with him and explain to him what the uh, the issues are in Hamilton and what the council position is and where we are at in the process in terms of uh, developing and building this uh, LRT line, how much money has been expended already, and uh, the amount of Metrolinks and city staff that have been identified that are working out of the uh, Hamilton GO station on this project on an ongoing basis. Uh, you know, all of that's been happening for the better part of two years now, and we're well into this thing. So. Clearly, I want to sit down with uh, this leader so that uh, he would understand what the needs of the city of Hamilton are. And I, uh, you know, again, publicly would uh, invite Mr. Ford to uh, come and sit with me, and we'll uh, we'll run him through all of the details of uh, where we are with this project and uh, what our Hamilton's needs are. And and we want to have a positive relationship with all the all the leaders. So I have a good relationship with Premier Wynn. I have a good relationship with our local Andrea Horvath. Uh, both of them have committed to moving forward on uh, LRT. Uh, Mr. Schreiner, uh, the the Green Party leader, uh, is also committed to uh, moving forward on that. And so uh, I would expect that Mr. Ford will uh, hold to his original position, which was that he would support LRT in Hamilton. And, and that's the way you're going to take this. You don't feel that there's uh, there's a confrontation brewing here, or is, it, is this a misunderstanding, or is this a uh, is this a change in direction as far as you're concerned? I, I see it as a misunderstanding, or at least him getting you know misinformed on what's actually happening in Hamilton, what's happening in Kitchener Waterloo, what's happening you know outside the borders of Toronto. I know, I know he's from Toronto. I get that uh, you would have the, you know a better understanding of what happens in Toronto, but uh, they need to have a good understanding of what's happening in the rest of the province. And I know that mayors right across the province would be more than happy to inform all the candidates of what's happening in their city and how the. Uh, 
how the, uh, the, the this current uh, policies that uh, that uh, individual candidates are putting forward are going to affect their municipality. I know that's true for Hamilton, that's true for uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, for Ottawa. All of them are ready and willing and able to work with whoever the current uh, government is or whoever the next government is going to be. Uh, I got an email here from one of our listeners, Cindy, who's listening to your conversation with me right now, Mr. Mayor, and asking, uh, ask Mr. Eisenberger uh, about his thoughts about uh, the announcement from Doug Ford that uh, the provincial government, if he becomes premier, is going to upload a lot of the cost of the TTC to the provincial level. Why can't Hamilton get that kind of deal? Yeah, good question. I think the, the uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the the Andrew Horvath, the leader of the NDP, uh, indicated that she was prepared to, uh, to to take on half of the operating costs for all the transit systems in the province of Ontario, which is a similar similar initiative, but uh, an initiative that affects all transit system across the province. I think that was a particularly positive announcement and. You know, if Mr. Ford is uh, interested in doing that in Toronto, he surely should be interested in doing that uh, right across the province. So uh, I would, uh, we, we, we'd be all ears in terms of having that happen here because transit and uh, how it's funded and gas tax, uh, all of the things that help, our, help us provide transit services in the community uh, could easily be helped and assisted by the province of Ontario on an ongoing basis. And we haven't had... You know, a, a, a lot of help prior to the uh, prior to the, the current government, and this government is taking it to the next level. I know the federal government is very keen on uh, transit investments right across the country. So, uh, the focus has been that transit is one of the uh, the areas that uh, that all governments have been focused on that would improve the quality of life uh, in all of our communities. Housing is another one. I mean, housing is another focus on that, that both the federal and provincial governments have put their uh, their marker on, and uh, and we know in Hamilton that that's one of our key issues as well. So uh, those two issues are really, you know, some of the central focuses that we need to uh, get our uh, provincial leaders to start talking about. Some of the stuff that uh, the Mr. Ford talked about, and and we're dealing with his transit plan. I'm sure that we've seen uh, the NDP and the Liberal plans already. They're 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 out there for us to to do our evaluations. But mm-hmm. but in fair in fairness, a lot of what Doug Ford talked about were actually reannouncements. I mean, he talked about the GO service to Niagara. Uh, they've been talking about that for 20 years in Ontario. It hasn't quite happened, although some they have been baby steps along that way, and and right. some of the other things that have been going on right now. So, uh, and even the even the you know the billion dollars that you talked about for quote unquote transit things in Hamilton is is really just a, a reaffirmation of what this government has already promised. So, but I, I guess this you have to take some solace in the fact that, uh, that that at least he's doing that because governments could simply say you guys aren't in the game anymore. So, I mean, at least we know that there's going to be money there for the project. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to fight with, uh, with any, any, uh, you know, candidate for the leadership of the party or the province. Uh, <clears throat> I'm here to share accurate information, and as you point out, uh, the the Go Go initiative has been on the on the books for quite a long time. Steps have been taken to actually move in that direction. Uh, the, the the waterfront, uh, you know, Go station has been built. The uh, the Centennial Parkway station is. Uh, in the process of being built, land has been cleared and uh, construction has begun. And and you know the uh, the commitment was to uh, you know ultimately get all the way to uh, Niagara, which makes perfect sense. The question and the issue is, and uh, and, and you know, any any of the uh, premier candidates will have the same issue. Any of the parties will have the same issue. Is the capacity issue on the uh, on the line that is controlled by our national uh, rail system and that. Uh, 
uh, <clears throat> they have been uh, trying to sort out the uh, the the a way to provide the capacity for passenger service as well as freight. That's where the conflict is. That uh, I am confident they're going to sort that out, but clearly it's not an easy easy one to do, and it might mean additional track needs to be laid, and certainly some of the, that, the preparations for that have already happened. But I think the commitment to having GO and, and the importance of having GO connect through kind of the greater Toronto-Hamilton area all the way to Niagara is uh, – is everyone's mission, and uh, I think all parties have spoken to that, and uh, to their credit, uh, we want to see that uh, follow through on. It's going to be a very important transit initiative, not only from the rail perspective, but from the bus, uh, go bus perspective, which uh, continues to grow and expand, which I think is a very positive step as well. Quick tweet here. Our friend John Vale, a longtime conservative in the area, you know, you know him too, Mr. Mayor, uh, just tweets and says, hey guys, don't get nasty with uh, Ford Nation that overwhelmingly won Hamilton in the leadership, so he gets it. Uh, and I, I'm not getting nasty with them. My point uh, to, to those who may be taking exception to what we're talking about here is is that if Mr. Ford wants to find out what's going on in Hamilton and the policy, uh, it's not just courtesy, but it's common sense. You should talk to the mayor of the community. I don't know where he's getting his information from, that, that, that there's you know a different line of thinking going on right now. If he wants to talk about Toronto politics, he probably should talk to John Tory, although I guess they're not really tight, uh, and Jim Watson in Ottawa and down the list, uh, Bonnie Crombie in, in Mississauga. Uh, I don't know who he's getting his information from right now, but I'm not so sure who thinks they're, they're qualified to do this and speak on behalf of the city of Hamilton. Well, I don't know what the nastiness is. Uh, I have no animosity towards uh, any of the candidates. Uh, I have uh, I have an interest in protecting the interests of the city of Hamilton. You know, and I know that people out there disagree, but I'm I, you know this is not a Fred Eisenberger project. I'm I'm acting on behalf of this council, who's made the decision by majority to move forward on this. Uh, you know, people have can you know, have indicated that uh, you know why is Eisenberger continuously being the one that. Uh, it wants to be the fly in the ointment. I'm not the fly in the ointment. I'm actually advocating what uh, this council said we should do, and I'm following through on that. And I'm not. Uh, I'm not poking at Mr. Ford. I'm. Uh, I'm just suggesting that to, to suggest that this is just a transit project as opposed to what it actually is, which is an LRT project, is uh, is an inaccuracy, and it needs to be corrected. And whoever sharing that information with Mr. Ford ought to ought to make those corrections, both in Hamilton and in the Kitchener Waterloo, in fact, where. The, uh, the politicians there have got their eyebrows up saying uh, we've already built what he's promising he's going to fund. Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, if you can clear that up, that would be perfect. Uh, and then we can get on with, uh, you know, the next steps and all the other issues that are out there that need to be debated as well. Well, that's why they call it the silly season, Mr. Mayor. I appreciate the time today. Thanks as always. Always a pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Have a great day. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Provincial election coming up uh, very quickly now on June 7th. The uh, campaign is officially underway. Of course, the writ has been dropped, and uh, the leaders are all over the province. And uh, over the course of the uh, next few weeks, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to hear what all of the leaders have to say about certain policy platforms that they are proposing and costing. I'd like to think that at some point we're going to get costing estimates from all of the parties. Uh, we'll talk about that in more detail a little bit later on. Yesterday, uh, Green Party leader Mike Schreiner was on the program talking about uh, what the Greens have in mind for our province going forward. Uh, today, we're pleased to welcome to the program Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath, who is uh, on the campaign trail but joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. How are you doing this morning, Andrea? 
I'm doing great, thanks, Bill. How are you? Great. Listen, thanks so much for the time. I know that uh, in some of the campaign stops today, uh, uh, you said you were going to be focusing on education. So I, I got to talk to you about a couple of things about that. First of all, uh, because I'm troubled by some of the things I'm hearing from not your party necessarily, but from some of the others about education. It's obviously a, it's a key element. It's going to be a priority, I think, for everybody going forward. Uh, but we have one proposal right now, of course, from the Progressive Conservative Party, uh, from Doug Ford, that is now talking about scrapping the sex ed curriculum uh, and basically tossing out math programs. Uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that because uh, with anybody, including Doug Ford, uh, we'll, we'll do those in two parts, uh, that's talked about scrapping the sex ed curriculum. I, I rarely hear anybody that's got any specifics about it. I think it's just they don't like the idea of the program even being taught in the schools and and. T- t- brings to me about a basic misunderstanding of what's going on. Please uh, talk to us about your position on this and, and what you see going forward. Well, look, Bill, I mean, the, the health and physical education uh, curriculum desperately needed to be upgraded. Uh, I mean, uh, you know my son Julian, when, when, he, was, when he was in school, uh, that's the curriculum that was still in place until the changes were made. And, and of course, the environment that young people face these days is so much different than, uh, than back then when, when Julian was uh, in grade school. And so we, we needed to upgrade the, the, uh, the curriculum. Uh, New Democrats support that. Uh, but that's always going to happen, isn't it, Andrea? I mean, it's a, it's a it's a very fluid thing. We get that. No, absolutely, and 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 dragging back the uh, the to- um, the hands of time are not going to help us uh, to prepare our young people for the future. And and this is what Doug conservative uh, Doug uh, Doug conservative <laughs> Doug Ford and the conservatives want to do. Uh, they want to drag back uh, the province and take us uh, uh, take us in a backward direction. And as people you know start thinking more about what they want to see in, in terms of change in this province, because we, I think we all feel that there's a sense that people want change. Uh, they have to look to what kind of change do they want, and do they want to have the province go in a backwards direction, or do we want to try to keep pushing forward on things that make you know, life better for folks, that make young people safer, uh, that, uh, that help us to um, improve for the future, that give us hope for the future. That's, that's what our campaign's based on. Uh, Mr. Ford also made a, a, a pronouncement, I guess, at the debate the other night, Andrea, that, uh, that the math scores here in, in Ontario just are not, uh, they're not improving at all and, and they're lagging behind. Uh, the statistics I've seen on this is that apparently we have the second best math scores in the country on a national basis, province by province basis. Uh, as you mentioned, there's always going to be room for improvement, but are we throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater here? Well, you know, one of the things that I did talk about today in my announcement uh, with the uh, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, which we were very proud to get the endorsement of today, uh, was that we are going to scrap the EQAO specifically. Uh, the teaching to the test is not uh, the, the best way to give children uh, the kind of education that they need and deserve. And so we are going to re, uh, kind of revamp the testing regime to make sure that, uh, you know, that parents do have a good sense of where their kids are at and that educators uh, are able to, um, you know, to do the kind of work they need to, to provide the, you know, the quality of education that every individual child deserves. All right. With that in mind, though, and, and, and maybe I can tie these two, so the, both the sex ed curricula and this in, because uh, Doug Ford wants to scrap sex ed, and you're talking about dropping the, the, the testing. And, and there's strong arguments, by the way, for what you're suggesting, and I've heard from teachers for years about this. But where's you know how do you fill that void? In other words, it's, it's one thing to scrap, but I I think voters and I think parents and educators want to say, well, what's your plan B then? Before you scrap that, show me what you've got that you think is going to be better. Are you there yet? Have you got a plan B? No, no. In fact, what we've uh, what we've said to uh, educators uh, and and experts in the field is that we are going to work with them 
uh, and with parents to come up with something that uh, that meets everyone's needs. And, and, and that's our obligation. I mean, it's been over 20 years now with the EQAO, uh, and you're right, there has been a lot of, uh, a lot of complaints about it. And what ends up happening is teachers end up teaching to the test, right? It becomes all the goal becomes uh, the test scores as opposed to the goal being each child being able to fulfill their greatest potential. And so we, so we are still going to find ways to, uh, to provide the feedback to parents uh, as to where their child is in the learning path. Uh, and we are all, we're also going to be able to help teachers to, to measure, uh, you know, student progress. But, uh, but we have to do it in a way that's focused on the child and not on, um, you know, not on, on, on uh, arbitrary uh, scores on tests. Uh, that become the focus instead of uh, the learning needs of children. Why aren't we learning from other jurisdictions? I mean, you know, the old idea about teaching to the test that you've talked about is really a 19th century approach to education. I know. There are, there are parts in the world, that, as you know, Andrea, that are doing it much better. We don't seem to be picking their brains to find out how they're doing it. Well, and that needs to be part of the process, but but unfortunately, um, the government has stood stubbornly by this particular model, um, and uh, and we think it's it's time for a change. I mean, we we really think that it's time to do exactly that. Uh, look at what's uh, what's working in other places, and 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 utilize uh, these other models as a as a way to inform how we go forward. Uh, by the way, uh, just as a side, I'm sure you had this brought to your attention. You might want to have to talk with one of your candidates in Richmond Hill. Uh, Marco Coletta, who's uh, suggested that there be a 15% pay cut across the board to teachers. Uh, I don't know if Mr. Manners is going to withdraw his endorsement, but I think that's a conversation you might want to have. That uh, I, I understand. I understand, as, as all of the, the leaders like to say, it's a big tent within the party, uh, but there's got to be some unanimity on some of the key issues. Yeah, no, I don't know where that came from. It's pretty ridiculous, and it's certainly not our plan. And in fact, uh, quite the opposite. I mean, we want to make sure uh, that all workers in Ontario are able to to build a good life. And so we're uh, we're very committed to the fifteen dollar minimum wage. One thing that Doug Ford has said he's not going to do. Uh, we're going to support uh, our education workers, and we're going to bring more EAs into the classroom as well uh, to make sure that uh, uh, those young children and and uh, children of all ages, frankly, that need extra supports in the classroom are able to get those supports. We're going to you know, put some more funding into the, uh, into the physical state of our schools. There's a $16 billion backlog um, in, in terms of maintenance and repairs. I mean, kids are going to school with leaky roofs, uh, with water that can't be uh, consumed because it's got lead in it. Uh, these, are, uh, these are all pieces that we're going to uh, look for. And, and I think that you know, the uh, ETFO is, uh, has been fantastic in, in you know, endorsing us. Uh, certainly, our platform is pretty clear. Uh, it's at ontarioNDP.ca slash platform, and uh, folks can have a look uh, to see what's in it. It's, um, it is a platform for change for the better, including schools and, uh, and the work environment for teachers and the learning environment for children. Uh, I don't put a whole lot of faith in polls. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is on them. I mean, they're, they're an interesting little sidebar, I guess. But uh, the numbers, notwithstanding my opinion on it, uh, seem to indicate that there seem to be a lot of people in Ontario right now that may be thinking of giving the NDP a try again. Uh, and it's been a long time, really, since uh, the, the NDP were last in power here, of course, in 1995. But there are still some things that you need to overcome, some mindsets. And one of them, Andrea, and I've heard it, and I'm sure you have, even, even in this short time of the campaign, is look at, they're not a friend of business. They don't understand business. Uh, business is going to take a nosedive if the NDP get in there. Do you don't understand that you have to help businesses out? Uh, if you're going to win the support in the hearts of minds, how do you how do you address that? Well, I mean, it's interesting, Bill. I mean, I was in Hamilton just a couple of weeks ago talking to the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, who had their uh, annual uh, kind of meeting 
at uh, the Sheridan there. And, and, and I, I've built a good relationship with the business community over the years. And one of the things that they've always told me is they don't like shocks and surprises, uh, that they can handle most things that governments, uh, uh, you know, uh, dish out, if you will, uh, but, but only if you give them a chance to, um, to adjust their business plans and to, uh, to plan for the future. And, and we've seen a government that hasn't done that. And so I've made that commitment to small business uh, to protect small business in terms of any, uh, you know, any changes in terms of tax uh, but what I have said to the business community, uh, the big, you know, the big corporate players, is that you know the, the, the wealthy, uh, you know, wealthy corporations are going to be paying a little bit more in corporate tax. But instead of putting that in place in year one, I've gave them my commitment uh, that they'll get what they've asked for, which is a bit of a warning. And so I'd, I'm not going to increase those taxes until years two and three, so that they can make the adjustments. So, so we might disagree on things like corporate tax rates, uh, but certainly what uh, what I've heard loud and clear from the business community is uh, talk to us, uh, you know, work with us, let us know if something's coming down the pike so that we can adjust. And on the things we don't agree on, we won't agree, but, uh, but it takes all of us to build a, a healthy and uh, prosperous province. And, and I do respect the private sector in that regard. I know how important private sector jobs are. Uh, I know how important small business is. And, uh, and we're, um, you know, we're prepared to, uh, I've built those relationships over the years, and we're prepared to work closely with the business community because we need good jobs in this province uh, to, uh, to have uh, you know, prosperity in our communities. The, the reality here, if we can just uh, move the bombast to one side for a second, uh, is that actually the corporate tax rate in Ontario is very competitive with others in jurisdictions in North America. The problem, I guess, is, is the Trump plan, which is going to give huge breaks to the, the border. But uh, are, are we overreacting too soon to that? Well, you know, we've we actually the the Trump plan was already announced when we started doing our fiscal plan, and so we've taken that into consideration. Uh, but look, our corporate tax rate was lower than that of the state of Alabama. Uh, that's how low the corporate tax rate was here in Ontario. The combined corporate tax rate lower than the state of Alabama. That's that was far far too low. And you'll know uh, that uh, it was um, it was uh, I think at fourteen and a half percent when the Conservatives were in office, and the Liberals dragged it down to eleven and a half percent. Uh, we're going to take it back up to 13 and a half over a, a couple of years uh, period, and uh, and we're going to use those dollars most importantly to do things like provide uh, pharmacare for everyone, and to make sure that people can can go to the dentist uh, without having to pull out their credit card. Uh, we're going to improve the schools. I mean, we have plans for the future that will will that will you know create a better quality of life uh, where all Ontario uh, all Ontario people will benefit. And yes, where those corporations are going to be asked to pay a little bit more. But if you do see a downturn, and it is a possibility, I mean, we know that economics can be a, a, a fool's game to try to predict. Uh, are you going to be flexible enough to reconsider something like that? I mean, because one of the other criticisms of the NDP in the past has been too ideological. They don't, they're not, they're not fluid about things, and they say, "No, this is the way we need to be." Come hell or high water, are you going to look at this and 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 study this as it happens and see what the results are going to be? Well, you know, there's a government has to, um, you know, has to be cognizant of what's happening in the uh, in the environment overall. Uh, but what I can tell you this, we've had we've had is this, we've had numbers a number of different NDP governments in a number of provinces over the years, uh, and there's been research done that has shown that NDP governments have been much more fiscally responsible than either of the other two parties uh, when you look at their track records. Look, Tommy Douglas, and you'll know this, Bill, because I know that you you know the the history, uh, Tommy. 
Stanley Douglas refused to actually bring in Pharmacare, uh, or rather Medicare, uh, until he had a balanced budget to be able to do so. And so, I mean, we, we, we do have responsibility and, and understand it, but we also have to make sure uh, that the, you know, the uh, prosperity that's, that's, uh, uh, that's created in our province doesn't continue to go to those at the very top. I mean, we've had GDP growth year after year after year after year, and everyday families continue to feel the squeeze. You know, people can't get their drugs, uh, their prescription drugs filled. We can't even give cancer patients take-home cancer, cancer drugs uh, in our province. That's not acceptable. So, so we are going to change the, uh, the balance, and we're going to, as I said, ask those, the wealthiest amongst us to, to pitch in uh, to, to make life a little bit easier for everybody else. I, I've looked at the platform, by the way, and I know you've talked about it uh, even before the writ was dropped about some of the things that your party is planning. Uh, and there's look at there's some enticing stuff here. I mean, pharmacare. I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, it, it's worth noting that pharmacare was actually promised to us back in 1964 by the federal government when they instituted Medicaid. And they just said we'll get around to that in a year or two, and here we are in 2018, still waiting. Uh, it's yeah. it's an idea whose time has come. And I think all, there's even in our all parliamentary committee, all party parliamentary committee uh, in Ottawa that said, look, we have to do this. They're not sure how they're going to do that. Uh, so it's going to, be, I think, be up to the provinces to at least institute this for the first part anyway. So we're okay with that. And some of the other things that, that the NDP are talking about are, are sounding fabulous, and I think they're going to appeal to an awful lot of people. But you know the question that keeps getting asked is, how are you going to pay for this? Uh, we're tired of deficits. Uh, we're tired of hearing stories about how the government over the last 15 years has run us up to one of the highest deficits in, in North America. Uh, and, well, these NDPers, I don't know if these guys have that fiscal responsibility to be able to offer these programs and at the same time be fiscally responsible. Yeah, but you know what else I think people believe? I think people believe that it's not right that big corporations get huge tax cuts while people are, people are lined up in hallways on stretchers. I mean, I, I don't think people believe that that's the right way to go. And so it is a matter of choice here. I mean, we're, we're seeing Mr. Ford, who's talking about, uh, you know, huge tax cuts uh, for corporations. That's going to hurt everyday families. You know, people are going to be feeling those cuts, uh, you know, pretty, um, you know, pretty clearly. But Mr. Ford does not have the guts to come forward and let people know exactly what those cuts are going to look like. Uh, so you're you're right. There's a there's an important choice here. Uh, and and what I believe is that that people people think that we can do much much better uh, than where we are now. Uh, and it's going to take those um, you know those wealthiest amongst us to uh, to help pay the freight. All right, but but every time, you know, steal from the rich, give from the poor. And I know I'm I'm overstating that, I guess, but but the fact here is that every time that anybody proposes something like this and, and Obama went through the same thing down in the states a few years ago, Andrew, when he said, "Look, I want the rich to pay a little bit more." Uh, there's always going to be a pushback on this so with the understanding that, hey, you guys don't understand where we're coming from. You don't understand that we create jobs. And I, I don't advise and subscribe to the trickle-down theory. I think it's a, a farce. But by the yeah, same token, they say that's where business has to be. You've got to look after business. Yeah, but you know the other thing I think that people say, Bill, and and I, I I know I know you've heard this too, and this is a an ongoing conversation in our community in Hamilton. Uh, we, you know, we we always rue the fact that the rich are getting richer and the rest of us aren't getting ahead, right? The rich are getting. We used to say the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now it's the rich get richer and everybody else is trying to hang on. Um, the only way we start to change that movie is by uh, making these kinds of uh, uh, these kinds of decisions. 
and, and, and making sure that families can afford childcare, that you can afford to turn your lights on and put food on your table, that you can take your kids to the dentist so that they, uh, so that they don't have teeth rotting out of their, uh, out of their teeth, uh, out of their mouth rather, while they're sitting in grade two class. I mean, you, you know that, uh, that that study was done by, um, by the medical officer of health in, in, in Hamilton, showing that, you know, there's tooth decay in, in a majority of grade two students in our classrooms. People, people don't think that that's the right thing to be happening in, in 2018. And the way we get at those issues, the way we solve those problems, uh, is by putting in public programs uh, that address them. And, 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 you know, and, and I do believe that, uh, that people are ready for that kind of change. I do believe that people uh, understand that, that Doug, plan, Doug Ford's plans are going to drive our province backwards. Uh, they're going to make people less uh, less able to uh, to pay for childcare, less able to find affordable quality childcare, less able to f- find housing uh, that uh, that they can uh, that they can raise a family in. Uh, it, it's it's going to make it harder for students uh, to be able to afford post secondary education uh, and and you know and and be able to graduate without a mountain of debt. Uh, these are these are fundamentally uh, the the changes that we want to bring forward, uh, and they're exactly the opposite of what uh, what Mr. Ford has in, in mind. I, I know that during the debate the other night. Uh, Actually, one of the lines that you came up with was about Zingers, about, uh, you know, the the, the cronies. And, uh, you know, he was going to replace his cronies with the the ones that were already there. Uh, But one of the arguments against the NDP is, well, they've got cronies too. They're the union people, and they they aspire to higher wages, which is going to drive up the cost of of pricing for everybody else. It's it's just, they say, look, it's just the same terminology, just different people. How do you, how do you assuage people of that concern that look at everybody here is, is going to be beholden to somebody, no matter who we elect? Well, I mean, I think the difference is this. I, I believe that everyday working people should be able to build a good life in our province. This is a wealthy problem, province. There's a lot of prosperity in Ontario, but it's not very well shared. And so what we need to do is make sure that we are, you know, we're telling the, the, the young people, for example, that you don't have to see a future uh, where you're working contract to contract to contract when you're 50 years old, uh, that you, you don't have to, you know, be... Um, you know, be someone that's that's a casual worker because you can't find a decent job. Uh, I think it takes all of us to acknowledge that uh, uh, that there has to be hope for the future, not only for us and and uh, you know our generation, Bill, but for the next generation and the one after that. And so that's why when we talk about things like Hydro One, we're not talking about you know replacing the uh, the liberal appointees to the Hydro One board with uh, with another set of uh, you know of high income earners to the private sector board of a private corporation. What we're saying is no, we think Hydro One should be a public corporation again, and that the interests of the public and our, our businesses and our industry should come before the interests of private shareholders. And so our vision is quite different than the, uh, the, vision, the, the, the vision of the, um, the cronies from the conservatives or the cronies from the liberals, as you called them. Uh, first of all, many conversations as we head towards June 7th. Thanks so much for the time today, Andrea. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, as always, Bill. You take care. Andrea Horvath, leader of the Ontario NDP Party. Uh, next debate, by the way, is uh, next Friday night, I believe. Is it tomorrow night? Yeah. Uh, up in northern Ontario. Uh, and we will endeavor, obviously, to get Kathleen Wynne and, and uh, Doug Ford on the program. And uh, in numerous times, obviously, this is a pretty important election. Uh, and that's an understatement. And the more you can hear from the leaders as to what they're planning, I think the better informed you'll be when you go to vote on the 7th. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.